And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey everybody, this is Do You Like Prince Movies? I'm Alex Papadimus. I'm Wesley Morris. We're going to talk about Straight Outta Compton, the motion picture, the album, the experience. Um, but I took the advice of dozens and dozens of people and watched like two or three episodes in a row of Unreal till I got up to episode, I'm up at episode nine now. This show is crazy good. I feel like you talked to me about this and I kind of was like, oh, I filed it away as I'm, I, somebody mentioned it. I think we were talking to Mark Lasanti. Oh, okay. When he, we had him on the show. That's why it was. Okay. That's, and yeah. he was saying that Constance Zimmer and Sherry Appleby were on the show. And I said, oh, well then sign me up because I like both those people. Um, and so I, it took a couple weeks for me to start watching it. And that, at that point, other people had already gotten to that point where it became, it became a thing, a show that people were talking about as being surprisingly good and then not surprisingly good, just legitimately, legitimately good. And it, it, it is a, it is a soap opera that, that for me hits a lot of the beats that a good soap hits and also a good thriller, like a good psychological thriller, but in that trashy kind of early to mid nineties kind of way. Um, I don't know. I'm really enjoying it. I've got two episodes left. I'm assuming there'll be blockbuster, um, uh, events of of overplotting and and character manipulation. I cannot wait to get back. Yeah, I have I have seen those episodes. <laughs> we that this is one. This is I, I give all all credit to to my wife for getting me into this show um, because she did and she did sort of. Uh, I I don't I didn't give her a hard time about it. I wasn't like oh what's this this bachelor thing or whatever. But it, like I was. Uh, I was uh, I was not sure. I didn't know anything about it, and then suddenly, then I was like really excited about it. By the time it was by the time it was over, um, I was all the way here for it. But I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where you know, uh, I, I like I like Marty Noxon. I was like, that was uh, that was uh, oh, it's Marty Noxon's probably going to be good. I'm she's also the creator, and is yes. she is she also a writer on the show, or is she just the she? I assume because she was a writer. I'm assuming she's she's probably writing some of these. I don't know okay. offhand because I actually am now that I'm thinking about it, not noticing. I mean, her I have not noticed her name come up in the eight episodes I watched, but uh, I mean as a as a writer, but I might have missed that. Um, right, the show is deep. basically the story of it's behind the scenes of a bachelor like. I mean, it's basically the bachelor. Um, by by another name, the show is called Enchanted, and um, the and that's right, right? The show is called Enchanted, right? Everlasting, everlasting. That's what it is. Everlasting. They're like, this is going to be the most yes. important finale in the history of Everlasting. <laughs> yeah, Everlasting. That's what it is. Um, and it it is it is about the sort of backstabbing, conniving work that goes into production. And you know what's funny? It every. There are points at which who is I? I think I was here. Like maybe Chuck Klosterman was talking to somebody about this, and he they were talking about the point at which the the things that seem believable about this world began to take a turn into the into the dark and absurd, which then sort of compromised what some people thought was interesting about the show. I was waiting for it to stop seeming like a show that was based on what thing what what actually probably goes on in one of these shows you're waiting for it to become desperate housewives or something um (laughs) maybe 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm like for it to I'm be with... satirical rather than. Yes. Yeah, I think I wanted to get to the other side of people's eyes being opened by the banality of this world. I mean, and to be honest, I was one of those people. Like, I was like, really. This is how that sausage gets made? Oh, my God. And it doesn't seem implausible at all. It's like, of course, that's how TV gets made. It's like you have to be able to control the weather. Otherwise, you're going to have rain all the time. Right. And you're also and so, you're controlling people. When we say produce, I mean, there's things about like TV production like you think of it. But it's also, I mean, the word produce means a, a number of things on this show, including <laughs> psychologically manipulate. Yeah. That's. Yeah, I mean, that's. Yeah. It, there's a lot of like, hey, stop producing me. Like, it, and it's 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 like I'm like it is like it literally just means like mind f and like make mess with people's heads to make them do what no, you want them to do. It's a form of assault. It is. It is. It's really really. Like, I kept thinking about two things, two words. Watching this show, one is produce, and all the every permutation of that word, and the other is feminist. And there's a great shot in the first episode of this show in which Sherry Appleby's character um, is this producer who used to be on the previous season of the show, um, had a nervous breakdown of some kind in which she just cracked. Uh, she might be, if we diagn- she's been diagnosed, I mean, she might be bipolar. Um, and uh, like had to leave the show um did, had to go to rehab um or maybe a, a mental hospital yeah she had to go to some kind of a, a treatment i believe rather I, I don't know that it was rehabs per se right. but uh yeah and now for whatever reason so there's one thing that i don't quite get which is like why like i know she's a great producer and the show has definitely made a case for her being a very good producer but if you're constant zimmer's character the executive producer of this show and you're running the show and you kind of want it to run smoothly. Do you do you really bring this woman back into another season? Yeah, I mean, I think that's like you know, there's no show if if somebody doesn't make that decision. I think that's right. one of those things you have to accept is like it's like she's the best, and it's 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 just like you know, you you don't give the 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 cop his badge back. You don't give Dirty Harry his badge back the fiftieth <laughs> time. You know, it's like it's like you wrecked twenty cars. Like it doesn't. No one cares. Like, the, you know, you get you but, unlimited chances like that. Okay, and so there's the nobody that, better than Sherry Appleby. Yes, in this yes. in this field. No, her name is Rachel, and she's very good. She's a very good producer. The thing that I guess I'm wondering is like the point at which, and I, I guess I should just finish because the show, the season has ended basically at this point. Like I can, I I'm going to go watch the other two episodes, but but yeah, I kind of like how screwed up everybody is and everybody except you know poor prince charming um the the man that she was with in the previous season the cameraman who has fallen in love with her all over again only to you know presumably discover that i made a horrible mistake yeah he's the aiden of the (laughs) scenario oh yeah that's really good um I don't know. There's a kind of I like the boldness and the sort of baldness of this show. Um, I like that the the things that were kind of bothering me began to become plot points. Like I didn't get why the I didn't I don't watch The Bachelor. I just read about it and I listen to other people talk about it. Like I listen to David and David Jacoby and, and Juliet Littman talk about that show um, in their podcast. 
And so I don't really have a sense of the beauty um, or the hotness or the sort of psychological stability of a lot of the contestants on this show. So I kind of took for granted or like I, I, I took it to be understood that this is how it works in some ways. But then you have things like um, the character who, I mean, for anybody who hasn't watched the show, I won't spoil it. But there's a character who has a reveal um, that it takes about six episodes to get to and so you're watching this character for every episode she's in the show this is one of the contestants and you're just like there's something up with her (laughs) i don't know what it is but this just seems wrong her her eagerness is disturbing me and then in a really really well written well acted well directed episode you come to understand what's happening okay most of that episode is well directed it also contains a sex scene that i think is laughable I'm talking about the thing in the barn, Alex. Yes, yes, I'm, 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 I'm aware of what scene you were talking about before you even before you even got there. Uh, but yeah, but anyway, it it just keeps it it keeps getting you keep kind of waiting for it to to sort of curdle into some kind of thing less less smart, and it never does. It keeps getting no, smarter. it keeps getting smarter, and, 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 and even as it seems to get more. Desperate. I love that. I love that when it seems like when it seems like the show is thinking about ahead of you, you know, because mm-hmm, it doesn't happen mm-hmm, often. Mm-hmm. It's just it's like it's a pleasure to have that happen. To be like, oh yeah, no, actually, my my concerns have been sort of you know, kind of symbolically taken into account. Do, do you want to know, by the way, what when you said there were two words, what I thought the second word was? Oh, what was it? Because I mean, feminist is a good. Oh, word. I didn't it's explain a, feminist. You didn't why, explain, why that? But I mean, I didn't explain that. Yeah, it's well. I mean, look, it's a show about uh, women with jobs, and like the, where that's what's really you know. I mean, as much as much as there's like you know romance subplots going on, there's also like the, the, it's really about like the you know the the workplace and like professionalism and things like that. It's like and what counts as professionalism in this world? Yeah, but there's no, a that's, code to yes. what they're doing. And they're really good. They're really good at what they do, and they're not. You know, it's uh, it, it's. It, I don't know. It, it's it, it's hard to explain, I guess. But it you know walks. Out I mean, there's a really subtly explicated and executed moral struggle that goes on in this show, and it's never it's never like people sitting around talking about that struggle. Um, it is it is all dramatized, which I think is really really smart, because um, you don't often ordinarily with a show like this. Or with any show where there's a kind of moral tug of war, it would be the characters sort of sitting around talking procedurally about what to do, what, about what the right thing is to do. Though those conversations typically take place from a production standpoint, <laughs> and so it the the thing that struck me about the feminism of the show is that it's a it's sort of a conflicted complicated feminism because what you ultimately are dealing with is capitalism and the ways in which those any sort of 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 idealism or ideology is subservient to the to the bottom line was which is that the show has to get picked up for another season and there's talk of a spinoff and that has to go well. In order for that to go well, there are these contingencies on that. And that's all wrapped up in the compromises these characters have made with each other. It, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a really, really smart way to handle what to you and me and the rest of the Bachelor watching public is, seems like a you know, fairly frivolous uh, 44 minutes of television. Well, yeah, it's, just, it's, it, it, it's these things that we don't, 
you know, we don't necessarily think about, first of all, like we don't think of that television as prestigious and therefore we don't think about the, the people making it as professionals who work hard in the same way that like Sterling Cooper works hard or whatever, you know, like it's those, the, like those, we don't think of those jobs as worth lionizing dramatically well, in that sense. It's an interesting thing, right? Because what is the collar of this show? Like, I mean, it's clear that that it's clear, for instance, on The Wire that that's a blue collar show, and it's clear on on Mad Men that that's a white collar show. This show doesn't. I mean, it doesn't have a collar, and so we don't like the expectation of of the of the way we'll relate to and or find it interesting is is on is sort of socially socioeconomically undefined. These people make a lot of money to do what doesn't seem like a lot of work, but talk to the cameramen and talk to the makeup people and talk to the continuity people. If, 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 if up still like the bachelor has those, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel totally. like there, there's a lot of, it's an interesting, it falls between two very interesting and well-defined social classes. And, and this is a social class that rarely, that you rarely see, um, in series television, for sure. Um, I mean, I guess there have been other like behind the scenes shows, but they usually do something that is familiar to you. Like Thirty Rock puts on a sketch show, and you kind of understand the behind the scenes. You you think you understand anyway the behind the scenesness of that. Right, but that's um, also so, just because you've read ten million things about Saturday Night Live, so you kind of know. 30 yeah, Rock. maybe. And then, I mean, it's yeah, it's interesting. I was, I thought a lot about uh, you know there was a I, I actually don't know where it ended up, but there was a whole uh, unionization struggle. Remember a few years ago where the reality TV producers, the people who were kind of responsible for this, wanted to join the Writers Guild because there. Oh, was a, sure, I remember that. Like yes. that was, and it was the prelude to a larger sort of the bigger sort of like writers' strike situation. But like, it, it, I just remember it, that kind of ambiguity about what the job is being kind of a deciding factor in that situation, being an important factor in that situation that it was, you know, it was, they weren't writers in the traditional sense, but they also weren't just kind of like editing and producing. They were like just cut and tape, you know, it wasn't like just mm -hmm. a manual mm -hmm. labor of doing that. It was like, you are creating something out of whole cloth and like you're producing and like you're sort of, you know, telling people what to do and plying them with alcohol and things like that and making, you know, <laughs> orchestrating these moments in the same way that like Aaron Sorkin is orchestrating a moment when he sits down at his typewriter and the gold pours out of his fingers but yeah it was a it was a weird moment so yeah it's a, it's like it's one of those it's it's a perfect thing because it's a you know you just want to go behind the scenes of something that you didn't even think was a world and then suddenly it's an entire you know it's an entire world it's but, a galaxy yeah no it's um, crazy it's really good uh it gets good it, and you're get you're getting to some you know some of these things that you're talking about again it's like it's anticipating it there's a great it's not i'm not spoiling anything but there's a moment when uh rachel is uh, sort of talking about like you know future shows future reality shows future spin-off shows and there's a conversation about whether people whether or not people would watch a show about ladies with jobs um, <laughs> which is which is hilarious in the context of this thing because it's like yeah like you know this is a great show exactly about exactly that but it is bucking somewhat you know a, a, you know trends in terms of what you know what people are interested in. Um, I, I just also, think it's crazy. It's on Lifetime too. Yeah, no, I mean, well, Lifetime has sort of turned this corner into I don't know. Can you say respectability? Respectability, like they. You know they have they have a lot of agendas. I've been watching this show via my cable company, and so I ha I didn't watch it obviously when it when it aired, and so I've been getting a lot of um, of advertisements for other Lifetime shows. What is the most um, intriguing 
<laughs> I have shows. to be honest with you. It's Little Women. Is, is that, that what that show? Is that it's, like a reboot the, of the? It's li- it's like Little Women Get Married or something like that. But is it in um, Little Women times or is it in? Uh, no, today? it's 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 little people. It's like like oh, it's, like, it's not um, like Louisa, Louisa May Alcott. Like <laughs> no, little, I thought it was like a no. gritty reboot of Little, where like it, you know with like sexy. No, stuff. it's 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 Little Women. That was sort of scandalous. And and this is like this is I guess. There, I don't know which season. I don't know if they're in New York or L.A. I think the one that they're advertising is is L.A. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of drinking, and you know, it's the same. It's the same ad every time. So it's like alcohol and little people do not mix. And, <laughs> and yet, then there's, there's a shot of of of, four, of three women like about to throw down. It's I, but that was the thing that I, I mean, and I couldn't fast forward through that show. Uh, wait, no, I couldn't fast forward through Mr. Robot, which we're going to talk about in a second. I could yeah. fast forward through this. And yet I was not. And I can't tell you the number of times I had with my mother. I would say to my mother, you know, you can fast forward. You don't have to watch the commercials. And she's like, it's all, it's fine. It's I don't mind. I'm, I am now my mother is now living through me because I am like, I don't need to fast forward through this through this ad for the full house movie. I'm just going to keep watching it every single time they show it. <laughs> well, yeah, they make it they make it so that you can you always miss the thing. You can't really fast forward. It's like one commercial, so by the time you get up to speed to fast forward through things, then you have to yeah. go back anyway. It's just it's fine. It's fine. I don't mind being like attacked by the fact that there's a full house movie. Was was your third word or was you know, would your would your third word perhaps have been Bierko? <laughs> oh no but i i love craig bierko but i think i was gonna say that my would that have been your third word the bierko heel turn on unreal yes. like him yes. as there's something just sort of just he he is the sort of relatively talentless scumbag producer who is uh you know uh profited greatly off of constant zimmer incredibly efforts. Um, oh, you mean off of her efforts? Yes. Yeah. And and is and has tried to take credit for them. I mean, it's, it's again. This is sort of the interesting, the 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 way it's executing its ideas of 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 the of feminism and the way in an environment like this such a thing would work, um, is really interesting. And I was going to say, I mean, I was thinking about saying something about how good Craig, Craig Bierko is on the show, and I think he's fine. I, you know, he's 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 wonderful. I love him. He should be in everything. But Freddie Stroma, the guy who plays Adam, the the bachelor on the show, the the British playboy, I find his performance to be really really interesting because it seems like he just doesn't have any talent, and he obviously has been hired because he's very handsome. But there's something about how clued in the character becomes to the, to the goings on in the show and the, his, his sort of maneuvering in and out of, of his own personal venality that I found really compelling. And that actor is, there's a lot more going on with him than maybe there should be. Um, he's really, I, I like this guy's performance a lot. I've never seen him before. I don't know who he is, but um, I think he's really good. Well, he's playing something really interesting too, because he's he's playing kind of like a man slut in a way. Yeah, it's a, it's a part that you don't see you don't see men play that often. You know, where it's right. in this commodified sexuality, where it's like his, it's it, it, you know. But he it, also is like pathologically yeah, yeah, yeah. right. I mean, he is pathologically sexual though, and that I thought was was really interesting. And he just looks the way he's playing pathologically sexual 
it's not dark at all. It's almost for comedy. And yet the show has enough vision to sort of be able to situate that within this larger, potentially darker thing. Um, and I just want to, we should just really just say for, for sure that Sherry Appleby, I think is giving like the best show on TV, like one of the best shows on TV. Like it is, it is, it is a top 10 performance to me. Um, cause it doesn't, I mean, there's a lot of things you just can't write that she does. Like a lot of things she does with her face. Good crier. Um, yeah. She's a really good, she's really good at that. She also is really good at thinking in front of you without it seeming like, okay, sure. We need a shot of you thinking. <laughs> you make a thinky face. <laughs> But like there's those, a there, those faces I mean, that people make in Dune when they're the voiceover narration <laughs> is talking. <laughs> I think David Foster Wallace talks about that. He's like the the, the he's the one thing. About yeah, Dune. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of people making a thinky face. This is not. That's. I mean, that's not what she's doing. No. It is. It is. I don't know. This. I don't know. I just think this is a really, really smart, very layered piece of acting. And I don't always think the show is that well directed. Um and so, you know, she she's doing something that I think is just purely something you wouldn't get from a lot of other actors. And it it really gives the show a kind of dimensionality that it might not otherwise have had. Because, I mean, really, this is a superficial show that that episode to episode to episode gets more and more complex and layered, but not necessarily emotionally. Um, I think what's emotionally complex for, about the show comes almost exclusively from from the character of Rachel and the way the Shuri Appleby is playing her. Um, so I don't know. I'm excited to to see the last two episodes. I also like that they had the least Shaniqua like Shaniqua in the history of Shaniquas on this show. Like. It's like her name was Shaniqua, and I'm 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 like I came up with psychological backstories for all these women. I feel like Shaniqua was named Shaniqua and spent her life deciding. You know what? I am not going to be a Shaniqua. I'm not going to let that define me. I'm not going to let Shaniqua define me as what people think I'm supposed to be. I'm going to be the classy black lady on the reality show for a husband. <laughs> Yeah. Yet again, it's like I'm going to carve. I'm going to find the area in which to be <laughs> to excel as a human within this like venality of this, right, this right, world. It's, right, you know, right. I'm going to carve it out. That's what the show's that, about. Yeah. I feel like that's the source of a lot of the satire, and the show is never pushing too hard on it. It just is. It's just there. It's there for you if if you're open to it to its presence to pick up on and laugh at. It's really. I mean. It's it's a it's a smart show. I'm really enjoying it, and I have not watched an episode in five days. And I got to tell you, honest to God, just talking about it is giving me the sweats. I'm 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 jonesing. So I, I think when the show's over, I'm gonna I'm gonna have some lunch and watch the last two episodes. Yeah, you're in for a treat. Anyway, we'll be right back to talk about Straight Outta Compton. I heard you've been spending a lot of time at your auntie house. How's the couch life? Yeah, my woman and my baby living there is hard, man. But you know, everybody can't do what you do. Really, what I do getting played out, Dre. Where the money at? And why you gotta be so ruthless, cuz? I'll make a few changes. Where you think you going? I'm just trying to get home. That's my son. You need to get back in the house or I will ruin your nuts. I gotta talk to my moms like that. You had the chance. 
change the situation. Would you take it? Just hit that first beat hard. Are right? you cruising down the street? All right. Down the street in my six hey, that was dope, eh? One of my favorite things in a biopic, though, in a rock biopic, I call it, I, I, I refer to it internally in my own mind as the you boys are nothing but a bunch of Rolling Stones moment where someone <laughs> says something incredibly implausible. It happens a lot in superhero movies, too. It happens in it seems to happen in Suicide Squad according to the Suicide Squad trailer there's a moment in the Suicide Squad trailer where Will Smith is like oh, I get it this is some kind of Suicide Squad which where they say something that's like not a thing but they just say right. they just kind of pop out with it and it's just that it's like they name the thing that you know you already know is going to be the thing it's like we should call this the E Street Band and it's like Clarence <laughs> Clemens is like I like the sound of that for some reason <laughs> So this has there's a moment early in this film we have been introduced to a, a, a young uh, up and comer in the uh, the the uh, Compton drug game, Easy E Eric Wright. And there's a moment when somebody just almost I'm gonna say kind of apropos of nothing, kind of not really in the moment, it chooses a word. He's being Eric Wright's being kind of uh, kind of pushy in a, a, a drug transaction, and somebody's like, "Damn, Eric, why you got to be so ruthless?" Bum bum bum. <laughs> because of course he we know that he's going to found a label called Ruthless Records and use it to put out this albums by NWA. That at least movie. they they avoid the moment where somebody at least nobody sort of there's not a moment where the cops are like, "You n words with <laughs> attitude, get on the ground." They they held uh, f Gary Gray. Resisted that temptation. Director that is F. not F as in F U Gary. No, Gray. that is F dot Gary Gray. Yeah, the director of this movie. But uh, yeah, F period. Um, but they do they do avoid that though. But uh, that's that's almost the one obvious thing that they the, the only obvious thing that they don't hit is having some. I say will that. say that along those along the the U Rolling Stones line. Um. I found the arrival at the F the police light bulb to be really good. Um, I mean, it it's totally forced and the staging is forced, but that moment um, in which those guys are in the recording studio in Torrance, California, and they have a run in with the, with the Torrance PD um, as fronted by a, by a extremely intolerant black officer um, who doesn't think that rap is an art form? By the way, <laughs> that's not an art. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I like that moment too. But it's it's there's so many things. But it's working very much it. right. Yes. Yeah. No. It is. It is like that is that is the fifth time that happens in that movie. Um, and at that point, you're just like, oh, come on. So we should say that this you know this movie is the story of NWA as as approved and 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 declassified by Dr. Dre, Ice Cube and Easy E's widow um and therefore its its seal of approval is is inarguable um and therefore you are getting the 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 straight story according to them and so there's a lot of things obviously that you you don't hear anything about. I mean, just talking about like things that, that things that members of the group actually did. 
Um, there's a lot that's missing. Um, there's a lot of like, hey, we were good. We were mostly good family men who found our wives really early and listened to everything they said. That is really the most amazing part. To me, it was not like that. We, you know, there's been a lot of talk about it leaves out Dr. Dre assaulting uh, D. Barnes, who was a female uh, hip hop journalist who had a, a music video show. And he, uh, Dr. Dre did not like uh, the way a segment on NWA had been edited to reflect uh, the, you know, I think he, I think she inserted, she let Ice Cube have you know, equal time in an NWA segment after he'd left the group. Dr. Right. Dre was mad about this. Dr. Dre threw her up against a wall. There are sort of differing accounts of how badly he beat her up, but it was obviously pretty bad. It was obviously bad enough that it's weird that it's not in the movie because it was a big deal in terms of his public profile it, and that it's, that it's left that out entirely. That was a entirely. huge deal when yeah. it happened. I mean, it's that a, was a huge deal. Yeah, and it's it, it was a, and it's something that he's you know sort of like had to had to live down and had to live with and sort of something that's been part of his public persona. And for it to be, obviously, you're expecting there these stories to be ultimately the heroes of the movie are going to be the heroes of the story. You know, like that that's how movies yes. are. But it's weird that it just it just skips over it entirely. But the weirder thing to me is is how clearly it is one of those things where it's all of these guys putting their wives in the movie as characters to the extent that there's any female char- characters in this movie like women who have things to do who are just kind no. of draped over a member of NWA there's a lot of like furniture women but that they're all that there's a lot of like you know like easy ease wife to me because like I've I've gone through all these papers and I these are the canceled checks and these are the th- like so right. her business yes. acumen is a plot point right Right, you know, right. and like the fact that people don't take her business acumen seriously, like there's, it's like, and that's, and you know, uh, yeah, it's, it, but it's, yeah, it's interesting that there's like, there's moments of, yeah, exactly what family men they are and all of that stuff. I think it, it costs and the movie a little bit of kind of edginess and excitement. <laughs> to I would say, say the least. <laughs> you uh, lose something. But here's the thing for me that, I mean, okay, first of all, this movie is two and a half hours. And. You don't really I mean it it hits a lot of the of the sweet spot points um in the group's history but it also is sort of weirdly overcrowded and so all of these three of these four guys I mean MC Ren and DJ Yella get get very little to do comic relief um, parts yeah exactly um and so you have these three very compelling characters. You have Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, and Easy. They clearly begin their 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 journey in one place and wind up in a different place. And I'm not talking about like socioeconomically. I'm just talking about as men. Um, and there's a way that if you had told the story of any one of those guys and you had given that two hours in 30 minutes... And you had and you had dramatized the the personal personal psychological evolution of that character from age seventeen or eighteen to age fifty, you'd have something. But this feels like because there's no character arc, everything that you're left with as the years pass is just and they don't even go to fifty. I mean, I think the movie ends in. Uh, 19 it ends at around easy E's death which is can't and be it's like 90 that's like 90 96 
Yeah, if, yeah, because yeah. it's after the Chronic, but it's not, you know, and it's a, the aftermath. Chronic was 92. No, it ends Easy, with... <laughs> it Easy ends died with, in 1995. It ends with Pretty Aftermath, sure. which has that big moment. It ends with like... so. Oh, it, right. It, it stops right before Dr. Dre presents the Aftermath. You don't get up to that. It leaves... It ends before, you know, yeah, no diggity and those things. It's just, it doesn't happen there. It's like... Before, but any, at that point, there, you're... That. It is all... Everything is sort of rushing toward the end anyway. Mm-hmm. But the point, my point is just that in, in having to toggle among these three guys, plus this, this sort of other, the story of Jerry Heller, who was their manager, who may or may not have stolen all their money or a lot of it and, 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 and misspent it, um, and the arrival of Suge Knight. It's really not clear from the movie, by the way. They don't, the movie does not take a position on that. I don't think. No, but it's clear that like... (laughs) <laughs> something I mean something they think something happened or they think he did what he what they say he did but right the movie the movie villainizes him just enough um, but Paul Giamatti is just too good an actor to to and probably too powerful a presence on the set maybe for that moment for the, you know the two moments in which another actor would have just played this played the admission of the the non-admission or admission of non-guilt scene in a slightly more incriminating way um, I think he makes that character a lot more humane and a lot more human seeming than than other people would have um, or would have been able to even. Um, you know, then you have the arrival of Suge Knight and every sort of ancillary character. I mean, I, I called this, I sort of referred to this as the Hip Hop Avengers and I was kind of being flippant because I didn't really make a case for that being the case. But it's the case. Like, this is... West Coast rap. This is like the West Coast rap Avengers. Yeah, and you have your favorite dudes, and you're like, oh, I'm glad to see like like I Snoop just showed up for you know. Yeah, Snoop shows up. They got a guy who sounds a lot like Snoop. Looks or nothing. Keith Stanfield is the actor. Yeah, Keith Stanfield does not look like Snoop. I don't think. I did not no, find. but some people look so look like just enough like the person that it's distracting. The Suge Knight guy looks like Suge Knight. He does look like Suge Knight, although the real Suge Knight, I think, is you know, he, he, he is a little scarier. Yes, but, but the, well, yeah, the, is, Shug, real Suge Knight is not going for camp the way this movie is 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 urging him to go tour. Yeah, it's a it is a he, he does not actually have a mustache to twirl, but he it's you know it's a it's a neck, he does have it, a cigar. It's a neckbeard twirling performance. Um, um, yeah, and they keep them in Crips, in Crips, in Crips Red, which, I mean, if you don't know what the Crips are and you just think red is the devil, uh, which is what I thought, um, <laughs> it just looks like they're going out of their way to make him extra devilish. Yeah, it's this guy likes red. Um, sure does. It, it, and look, I mean, yeah, the, it, yeah it, you do, it feels like it's hitting it is hitting beats and it's every so everything that happens things are not really exploited for their you know what like real dramatic potential because it's just moving the story along you know so there's that whole thing of like i i wrote a story about the doc a, a, a many years ago or a few years ago and so i i his side of the story i'm very versed in and mm-hmm, so it, the, mm-hmm. and it does show up in there his account, like, because he's the one who basically, he's the guy who kind of brings Suge, he's Suge's way into NWA and his way, the way that sort of Suge becomes this wedge within NWA because basically 
Suge comes in, starts looking at the DOC's contract with Jerry Heller, and then eventually persuades Dre to look at that information as well, to start looking at that paperwork and, you know, looking into that whole thing. And here he's just, you know, he's there and, it's, you know, he has a car accident and that and he's, you know, loses his voice for life, which did happen and or his ability to rap anyway. He can still speak. And that becomes it's just the inciting incident for for the next chapter of the thing, which is the, you know, the Shug stuff. And I feel like the Shug stuff is underexploited. I feel like there's, you know, there's two or three scenes and it's basically there for that ridiculous thing where Dre finally stands up to him. Yeah, and then you know, gets this, in his car and this yeah. showdown, this ridiculous, yeah. this kind of like you know, he just tells him what's what in the you know in the big in the and yeah, and then then he's you know then gets that's pulled over, which is there's a car chase this leads yes. to a car chase. This movie needs to have a car chase needs to find room for that, and it's interesting. I mean, look, the, it, it obviously like there is this. It can't not be. It can't not feel political and like this idea that there are, you know, that here are these guys who are sort of maneuvering between two sort of violent forces of authority in their world, right? It's the gang and the government are no different. You know, you've got the sort of, you, 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 very early in the movie, you sort of see the, you know, the bloods kind of just doing exactly what the police do, which is they're just, you know, sort of get, they get on that bus and they're like, you know, like, do we have a problem here? And, you know, they're sort of just intimidating everybody for no reason, you know, people who don't deserve it. There's that, there's yeah. that really good, I mean, there's that potentially really good scene where the yeah. guy gets on the bus, though, after Ice Cube sort of makes a gang sign, right? Well, it's not at, Ice Cube. It's some just some oh, kid, right? Oh, it's like, some kid on the bus, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Cube is just watching. Ice it Cube is on the bus, and the guy gets on the bus, and he's like, "You think this is a game? You know why? Why, why are you making game signs? You should be out there trying to trying to read." <laughs> and every be time in them books, I believe. Right. Is the... <laughs> <laughs> every time, like, there's a scene. Like, I feel like Dope, which came out earlier this summer, which we did not talk about. Uh, it kind of is doing a similar thing, right? Where it's saying there is an alternative to this and, and, and the alternative is education and literature or, or literacy. Um, why don't you, that's a worthy pursuit. And yet, you know, here is another two hours and five minutes of, of, of gang related craziness. Um, and I feel like that's the commercial thing to do. I mean, that is, you know, the movie in which the Ice Cube character, I mean, Ice Cube didn't go to Harvard, but but the kid in Dope is going to Harvard. But that that sort of the the ways in which you and the ways in which the the riches, the rags become riches is is not that interesting. It's more the explication of the drama around the rags and with the with the with the promise at the end of the movie, which is what happens in all of these of these you know, South Los Angeles films or any sort of gang movie, a black gang movie that you're going to get out that, you know, unless it's a super nihilistic thing like menace to society, um, which, you know, at the time was heralded for its, its bleakness. Um, and it was uncharacteristically bleak, like in terms of it's, it's utter hopelessness. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just I'm this film is very frustrating for me because I feel like it could have been it could have been a movie about what NWA actually was and meant. Um, it could have been about the ways in which they 
along with a couple of other acts sort of made rap something that you had to pay attention to not necess- not in- not because it was so great that's a separate urgency but because it was newsworthy it was the music the music and the men who were making it were the were subjects on the news for many many months and you know, a lot of what got them on the news was the fact that they were intimidating and they were not, they were alleged, they were accused of being bad citizens for standing up for being oppressed and disrespected and humiliated and emasculated and, and everything else. Um, I mean, they were basically making what on the face of it seemed like just, you know, crazy anarchic rap. But what ultimately it was, was protest music and people, People were listening. Um, the media was paying attention. I mean, they were crafting very disturbing stories around around the narrative. But anyway, I feel like the you know everybody who lived through that moment not only wants to present himself as being like a good family man, but also somebody who was able to sort of like make this music and then take whatever it was the music made and gave them to just become really rich and famous. And I just feel like there's a real cultural opportunity missed by this movie. And uh, you don't really get a sense that you don't have any idea what NWA actually meant by the time the movie's over. You have a sense that it made Dr. Dre and Ice Cube and, and, and Easy E, you know, and a handful of other people possible. Um, but it doesn't really give you as, like a sense of, of what was going on in the late 80s and early 90s that that helped like you know hip-hop didn't just like drift to the center i mean it kind of forced its way there and this is one of the acts that 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 sort of made help make that insistence i mean that's and that's there but it's just it's just sort of presented it's as so a, sloppily presented and there's no argument behind it. yeah and i just think everything yeah a lot of it just feels like just fait accompli it just it just happens just and and because everybody watching this movie knows what it, it it's it's interesting that you know i don't think it's you know i mean maybe it's trying to sell this to people who've never thought about this story before but i i doubt it i feel like it's it's presenting it in such a way that it's like you know the story and here here it is again and i think it you know i think you know the protest thing is both under and overplayed in a way because it's i think it also kind of it's it's a very backward looking way of thinking about it you know it's it's been interesting well, right it's yes. like that's the, really smart it's been interesting to watch how it's been consumed right like how like pe- that that people are you know that people are actually writing the story like why isn't there political rap like nwa anymore like mm-hmm. i'm old enough to remember when like that like people who liked rap weren't sure about nwa you know people who were on board with rap it's like that you know like aren't were like i don't know but i don't know about this this seems messed up this seems like violent like just sort of violent and nihilistic and not i feel like the sort of the no, the notion of f the police as a protest song which it obviously is but i feel like at the time that was much more of a question and i feel like there was you know that this sort of this sort of presents nwa as having understood the protest content the entire yes, time no. and I doesn't mean, get I... into the interesting thing about them which is that it was like they are selling an image and selling a kind of a, a violent fantasy 
in the same of way that scary like, blackness. Yeah, and that they like yes. they were the Joel Silvers of scary blackness at that mm-hmm. time, and <laughs> also doing saying something real about something. But it was like there was the thing where it was like you know okay, Public Enemy like makes it sort of like explicitly lays out the bl- the stuff on the blanket marked politics, you know. Whereas this right. was much more. It's not ideological. There's no. Yeah. They're not. They're not ask. They weren't asking for anything. You know. They weren't making. They weren't making demands. I think when you. I mean. I remember as a kid, Straight Outta Compton being the the most. It was a terrifying record for me. Like, I thought these guys wanted to kill me. They didn't. They like. They were coming after me. They and my sister and my mother and oh my god. I, you know, it was, it was really scary. And, you know, the kids who I went to a boarding school that was predominantly black, we, you know, we'd wake up in the morning, there'd be, you know, I lived in a room with, when this record came out, I was in a room with seven other guys and maybe six other guys. And we, I'd wake up to this, like so many days I'd wake up to straight out of Compton and I just... I just hated life so much <laughs> because there was no, I mean, I think what was probably fun for a lot of people about that record was they were saying things that if you were 12 or 11 at the time, like as I was at the time, it was just like, there were, there were things that were fun to say. Like it was fun to sort of talk about F the police. It just, and I, you know, there was a way in which, you know, the idea of saying that about the police was just like kind of exciting, but the context of these are the album context made it impossible to really do more than never want to be around any of those people at all. And so the, I, the sort of the promotion of them as these scary black guys was extremely effective because they scared the shit out of me. And they were like kids that I, some of the, some guys I went to school with, like they just seemed like bullies. And, you know, I think that that is what thrust them to the center of the country for the minute that they were there. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I just feel like that was, that was a really, really that was a crazy moment and you're right the movie the movie kind of i mean it, it has a sort of backhanded or a retrospective smoothing out of of what it meant to be the people that they were but i mean i mean where do you remember where you were which writer Compton came out and like like what the reaction in 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 your little san francisco <laughs> neighborhood was my my privileged uh, white enclave <laughs> yeah i i believe uh, you know some guys uh, a dicky on his tuxedo rolled up immediately into a, a, a scroll of some sort and uh, uh glasses were fogged up and people were yeah women fainting on the couches the garden club was scandalized uh no i i was trying to remember and the the only the sort of formative the very beginning <laughs> it's actually I mean, and this isn't this isn't why I don't necessarily think of it as purely political, although like I had the same experience as you, which is like this is cool chiefly because this is cool in the way that like this, you know, that like these like this Robin Williams album where he's cursing up a blue streak is cool because it is it's so clearly something I'm not supposed to hear. You know, uh, I, my first experience, though, was probably more with was probably with N words for life. It was the second mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And it was I the one that the song that I remember listening to, and 
thinking was hilarious. And but at the same time, just knowing that I was hearing something I was not supposed to hear was she swallowed it. Ah. Uh. Which is just this MC, really dirty MC Ren song on that. If on you that. could have been at my school, <laughs> like that was how we sexually harassed girls. Like that was what we did to women. It was. It's just. It's so crazy. This whole that whole moment was so crazy. And this. Oh yeah, she swallowed it. Who could forget? Who could forget? Um, and I, now I know uh, that 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 one's not. That record's not as great. Obviously, and I understand that it's the post, it's post Ice Cube, and it's all that stuff, and you know, all, all of that, uh, you know. But it's fine. It, this doesn't need to, re- you know, represent my personal experience of the thing. But it just, it just feels. It needs so... to represent somebody's personal experience of the thing, and that's the problem with the movie, right? Well, it, like, yeah, I mean, exactly. There's no personal experience at all in this movie. It is a completely homogenized product you know a sort of a nostalgia delivery system for nwa and what what i thought about the entire time and like the best scene in the movie is the one that sort of where you realize wait that that ice cube was sort of the ideologue and his association with public enemy and everything public enemy stood for where the, the there was a real political agenda and that sort of made sense and it was clearly explicated and not humorless but but powerful, um, and that's the I mean it's the Vaseline moment or the no Vaseline moment um, that that intercuts his performance of, of that his recording of that song with the groups listening to it uh, with Jerry Heller. Um, one of, one of several just, exciting scenes of guys in an office listening to records, by the way, yeah. in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, no, he he leaves NWA and he immediately goes to New York and makes America's Most Wanted with the Bomb Squad, and it's a yep. very he I, allies himself ideologically with public enemy by doing that because the bomb squad produced all those great public enemy records. And it's a great, you know, a moment of the West coast and East coast, you know, a West coast guy making a very East coast sounding record. I believe it is. That is Chris Ryan's favorite West coast rap record because it sounds the most like a PE album. Told me at I one would, point. I don't, I would not disabuse Chris Ryan of feeling that way. I kind of agree with him. But I mean, look, the other thing, guys in offices listening to stuff, like we should talk just for a second about the lack of, style with which this movie is executed it is f gary gray who is the director of uh friday and of the it was a good day video and a lot of sort of uh, you know pretty iconic uh you know gangster rap things over the years yeah. but the negotiator but, and set it off as well yeah and went on to yeah you know the equalizer feature film career of of you know some note but there's there, there's one there, there's one thing in that it's like it, really you had all this time to think about how you're going to tell this story f gary gray you've been auditioning to tell this story your whole life and i i feel like there's not there's no filmmaking there's no excitement there's the there's the shot of the guys on dirt bikes in compton early on which is the the kind of you know somewhat slow motion shot of the dirt bikes which i thought you know is a little flourish and then there is literally like everything else is and i'm not against music video aesthetics per se and i don't like using this as a pejorative but there's a shot where it's the underwater camera rises out of the pool to look at some girls butts and it's just it's like come on f gary gray like you bring the bring the filmmaking bring the feature filmmaking hat for this one rather than i thought a lot about yeah i get it I agree with you. Rather than the, sort mean, of, you know, the, the, the whatever, the, the, you know, the, the Luther Campbell, I am Cuba of like, coming out <laughs> of the pool like that. It's, you know. I mean, 50 Cent had Jim Sheridan who bought the 50 Cent story whole hog 
but Jim Sheridan's a pretty good director and was able to give that movie to give uh, get Richard Die trying some atmosphere. Curtis Hanson, you know, I think has made you know he did um, Eight Mile and in that is shockingly i mean the, i mean the shock of that movie is just how atmospheric it is and how how the grit of that of the the, the detroitness of that movie is something that 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 her, curtis hansen as a director seizes upon and wants to tell the story of and the the sort of eminemness of it is is not secondary but it's this sort of corollary to the environment in which this guy comes from. I mean, this movie is called straight out of Compton and it doesn't feel the, the Comptonness, the South Los Angelesness of it. Um, it doesn't seem to interest him. I mean, I don't know what his, his interests are really sort of following the interests of the people who've produced this movie. Yeah. It draws. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. It doesn't it, like something like eight mile doesn't necessarily get its visual iconography from the visual iconography we associate with Eminem. Right. Right. Exactly. It's a like completely it's, other thing. Yeah. Whereas this just feels like it's drawing on what we've already seen a thousand times in, in various videos throughout history. And it doesn't. Yeah. Right. Anyway, uh, the movie's a hit. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Irrespective of that. Irrespective um, of all that. I, I, there's, I mean, there's a couple things I like in it a lot. I like the way Easy e says, I'm about to go fuck. I think that's a great moment. I like that del- his delivery of that line. I think in general, Easy gets all probably because he's not he's not alive to say anything about his image as it's presented. He's way more interesting in this movie than everybody else. And I've not. But I necessarily... do think O'Shea Jackson Jr. is yeah. is a much better actor than anybody else in this movie besides Paul Giamatti. Yeah, he's good. He gets. I like what he does. I like when he's playing. I mean, there's it, it, early on. It is a little weird because they they look a little older than they're supposed to be. Obviously, like. But yeah, I like his. Uh, he has a very. He has a great teenage Ice Cube posture mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. on, or like not teenage. I guess he was college age, but like it's still he's it, he, he looks like an overgrown kid in those early scenes where he's writing the raps and kind of you know handing over the lyrics. He's got a kind of sort of hulking polo shirted kind of thing happening before he's really sort of become Ice Cube. You know, he's still a little has a, he's an awkwardness that I that I liked. I don't know. I just feel like. It's just, I feel like it's a missed opportunity and yet it's exactly what, like, what else did we expect to happen? Um, we'll be right back. Uh, Mr. Robot. I'm I'm not you 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 are in a position Wesley to spoil this for me somewhat. Rarely happens, but I guess I am because I'm, I'm only, virtually caught up. I'm up to the I watched the I watched the drug episode, the kind of train spotting episode. The, That's episode five, I think. Which was which was crazy, and that felt like a turning point in the show, which up until then I had been enjoying and thought was well done, but I wasn't like holy whatever let's why well, i can't i can't believe it i can't wait to find out what happens next on mr robot mm-hmm. and then i watched mm-hmm. the one after that about the data center which is you know it was all right um like but that 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 the whole the 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 question that emerges from the drug show made it a different show for me and made me that much more excited of it, it was a layer 
you know, of uh, sort of magical realism or whatever. This is also – I'm also watching this with my wife and she basically last night in the one episode before the drug episode, like twigged to the fact – she was like, wait a minute – is, is Christian Slater a hallucination and like went to bed? She was like, oh, forget this. <laughs> that is one. It's just, it's <laughs> not a fan of the, the, of the magical realism in television shows that are otherwise realistic. My wife. So she was, she's just, she figured it out and she's like, you know, she just kind of walked. She's like the magic, magic. Realism. She's like, I, you know, she smelled the device. She's like, mm. no, thank you. Um, See, that's so funny because I don't think – I think there's something else going on here. And I think that – I have a theory, I, I, but go ahead. Oh, you have a theory? Okay. But this is – you can tell me your theory because I think – I think that's not the only thing that's keeping me watching the show. I think there's – there's I think what's – I don't know. I, I What I like is I like this world in which there are really no rules to human behavior. Um. Anything can happen at any minute. And by the way, you guys, if you want like a weekly blow-by-blow of how excellent this show is and what happens, Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan talk about this show every week on their Hollywood Perspectives podcast. This is the first time you and I have discussed this. Um, But I really like the way in which there's no limit on what people can do to themselves or to each other. Um, without it being, but it's got this very controlled sense of nihilism at the same time. And, uh, I, I don't know what's real and what's not real, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe Mr. Robot played by Christian Slater is a figment of Elliot. Who's played by Romy Malik. Uh, maybe he is a figment of this kid's imagination. By the way, we should just explain that the show is, is, is about, um, a computer programmer who is, uh, or, or the security technician, I guess is what we say he is, who gets mixed up with a group of anarchists who want to destroy, um, a major, major corporation that he works for. As that a, he works or he for. Has been, or that he, his, his company has done security consulting for. Right. He so works he, at the security. Right, right. He's in a position to help them do this or to stop them from doing it, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And that is. Elliot works at Allsafe and, and they do work with E Corp, AKA Evil Corp. Um, which is, I mean, and, and, you know, so there's a way in which a lot of what's, what's on the, what the, what the companies are called, there's a way in which these sort of, the the outward facing allegory does seem obvious in some ways, but also its obviousness means that there is something going on in terms of whose point of view things are happening from. I mean, I thought initially that the whole show would be from Elliot's point of view, but it, but it isn't. I mean, it leaves, it leaves Elliot to do a lot of other things that very much could be within his imagination but at the same time you are getting you're spending time with these other characters one of whom is angela who works at at all safe with with elliot she's played by portia doubleday and the character named uh terrell wellick um who's a swedish i mean what do we call him i mean talk like he's the swedish freak <laughs> so yeah, is a sort of Who, a, from your Patrick Bateman uh right. collection. Yes, yeah, a Patrick Bateman era style freak. 
uh, who wants to, who's desperate, desperate, desperate to be CTO of Evil Corp. Um, and so you have these, you have these characters who, you know, are given their own space. Um, and then there's a, a character named uh, Darlene, who's one of the F Society hackers. F Society is, you know, you, you see where this is, you can see where this is going in terms of like what things are meant to represent. But I think by the sixth or seventh episode, just the anything can happenness of 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 the show really, really got to me. Um, and I thought if the show can, if this show can do what it just did in this in these two very disturbing episodes, I, I don't. I really would like to see where else it's going to go. Um, I like this sort of. I like the kind of banality of evil way in which corporate culture is portrayed it's not original but it's it's committed to it um like there's a character named bruce Alt- there's a there's a bruce altman plays the, the the head of of evil corp or the cto of evil corp sorry who when he's arrested for you know he's he is exposed to for having done something corrupt and loses his job and so the fight there's a fight over who's going to replace him um and he has a moment with uh with angela because there's a there's a backstory that I should also I don't know if I need to explain it but there's a there's a there's a backstory that involves pollution basically um and some characters parents were affected in that uh or by that is it pollution am I making this up there's well, there's like a yeah there's like a 3 mile island type situation oh, i think right. where a lot of people like but two there are two characters who you you find out they they both lost parents to leukemia as a result of this event and that is a motivating thing for them uh in terms of in terms of what they're doing i mean like all everything i have to say about this like feels dumb because i'm like i, I I'm, I'm back a couple so I, i'm gonna be i'm gonna be wrong about something no, but that's just the premise so we'll just right. i mean that thing. is basically what the show is about and and you know episode to episode it you know it, what happens. I mean, I think where you feel like the show is going is some sort of showdown between this anarchist hacker group and the corporation. Of course. Um, and the the questions. I mean, the thing that made Jen walk out of the room <laughs> is. I mean, it's become secondary to me. Uh, I just am less interested in that than what else is up this show's sleeve. You know, I feel like at some point the show has to be directed so that if Mr. Robot is a figment of Elliot's imagination, um, it just becomes obvious. So the show has to have something else to give you. Um, and, and so and I want to know what that is. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I, I think I'm into that as a as a question because it's interesting. I don't actually think, you know, it, it's 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 fun because my reaction immediately when Jen said that was like, oh, it's. But but there's been scenes where you see the people talking to each other. It's it it's breaking the sixth sense Fight Club yeah, rules. They know right. They they know that you might have figured it out. The, so they that don't you're, make it as right. That you're going to read it that way. It's very Fight Club influenced. His narration is very Ed Norton's narration in Fight Club in the way that like every narration is is Ray Liotta. You know, it's it's from Goodfellas. Like this is very. It's very much a uh, you know an Ed Norton homage that kind of monotone wait what's the what's the goodfellas thing? the 
Goodfellas, that where it was like after you know. Uh, no, 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 no. But what's in relation to this show? Or no, 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 no. I was just I'm, uh, that's that was confusing. I'm sorry, but uh, what I meant was this is in this in the way that you see a lot of movies where a young actor is clearly doing Ray Liotta. You know that it's like, oh yeah, it's yeah, like Giovanni yeah, Ribisi yeah, yeah. doing a Ray Liotta voice or whatever. Yes, this yes. is very much somebody doing ed norton Ed in norton. Fight yep, Club, no. and that that's, that's a really thing smart. that points you in that direction but yeah there's been scenes of all and because i'm like oh how many are all of these people figments and the thing that i arrived at eventually which isn't an explanation it's not an explicatory theory it's like a just a, a reading of it it feels to me like this is a representation of internet culture that, that they do a lot in this show Given that it's a show about people hacking computers and therefore is basically about like men and women and keyboards, you know, which is mm-hmm. not a visually dynamic and exciting thing necessarily. They find a lot of interesting ways of making it visually interesting and getting out in the world and doing it's things. It's a great and, looking show. Yeah, it looks incredible. But they the, found these great New York vantages that yeah. I that you just would never really appreciate. Like they're wherever he lives on the Lower East Side and there's the shot north. uh I don't even. I mean, I could be wrong about the neighborhood, but I'm pretty sure that's where he lives. I think uh, they've cobbled together different parts of New York for that street. Actually, I was trying to figure it out. Oh, interesting. I but I mean, that 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 vantage of of them standing outside that apartment on the street, and and just the the like the the it's not. I mean, depending on where people are standing, it's typically it's a it's a wide long shot in which you're seeing most of the characters' bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also seeing the 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 skyline and the and the tree line and the rest of the block. It's just such a panoramic shot. You know what I've been doing? I should have told you this, but I I didn't have my act together. I've been taking screenshots of the Mister Robot logo when it pops up in an episode. Okay. Because I find that font just so beautiful and so in like so intoxicatingly beautiful. That, like, I don't even know what it reminds me of. You mean like but... that like Battlestar Galactica font from the Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I love those. Um, I just I love it so much and I love whenever it pops up. I mean the producers are very kind or the or the titleists are very kind. They they give you a little bit of warning. But there's such a like there's such a grandeur to to the way it appears in every episode. Um I mean, I'm not in love with this show the way some other people are. I but I do. I'm, I am really enjoying watching it. Um, I enjoy the idea that there is a presiding idea, um, and I'm really eager to see it through to its to its conclusion. Um, I mean, whatever this wherever this season goes, um, and then probably subsequent seasons. I mean, what I'm kind of hoping is that it like it's as it's as, it 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 hits a, the same spot or a similar spot as Breaking Bad did. Um, I don't find any of these people as interesting as the people on that show, but um, I also didn't watch Breaking Bad until <laughs> <laughs> you watch Breaking Bad in the most ridiculous, un- ill-advised way <laughs> possible. So there there is that. No, I yeah, I mean I I'm I'm into I'm into what it's going to become. Uh, he's the 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 creator whose whose name I'm not going to remember. Sam Esmail uh, is the guy. Thank you. Is the creator has said that this is that this started off. This was a feature script that kind of ballooned to what it is now, and that this is all first act. 
that we're in mm-hmm. right now. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. And then like act, he's like act two. He said that act two is very different. So like if there's a season two, presumably there will be a season two. It's been picked up for season two. Yeah, there will be. And so that's like that's going to be very different. But in the meantime, I'm just enjoying it. I mean, the thing I was going to say about the, you know, sort of the Internet is like this. They find a way to, you know, what would be a chat room is like a room. You know, and mm, so maybe it's mm-hmm, a. I mm. was like, I was like, I don't ah. mind. Is this a metaphorical chat room? Is this like on ah. Hannibal when, like, clearly they're not in the same room, but they put them in the same room because they're talking? It's like some, you know, oh, Alex, visual license. I'm so sad that I didn't, I didn't come up with that. So first, are these like real people, really right? Like these are real people, maybe, or they're real people on the internet, but you're not necessarily like he, they're just used, dramatizing it in this way, or maybe it's oh. all in his head. I'm not really I mean, bothered by it. I think they do I a lot really of things. like that idea. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know which right, any good. one of those things can be true. That's really smart. Now I'm going to watch it through that frame. I might I, even go back and watch a couple episodes because I mean that's really smart, and it actually would explain the like. It would explain the sort of the weirdness of the locales or the like, like unpeopledness of the locales, mm-hmm. like that arcade. Like, why is there never anybody in that arcade? And yet it's so kept up and it's clearly not after hours for it because it's a barcade it's an arcade um i don't know I, I i really like that i like that what about okay so like can we apply this theory to like just one character how does how does elliot shrink fit do you think he was really going to a shrink do you think he was really oh yeah no I, I i think okay. the shrink is a, yeah i think glory rubin is real it's glory rubin okay. right is that who that yes, is? Yeah. Yes, yes. I think she's for. I think she's 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 real. I, I. But then it look it it falls apart because you do see those people. You see like Darlene and everybody like going out into the world and doing things independently. And so it's probably right. But that also just means that they're out in the world doing things independently. But when they're communicating, this right. would explain why why you can see Mister Robot too. Well, mm-hmm. other people talk to and see Mister Robot, and why Mister Robot has scenes that don't involve Elliot. That's true. He could just be communicating outside of it. I don't know. It's just interesting, and I think it it just they find ways of basically it, it, as much, of, of of dramatizing things about the internet and a certain kind of a certain kind of uneasiness that you have, where mm-hmm. you're you're even you're you're communicating with somebody even though you're alone. So there's no there's not a lot of normal two shots. Have you noticed this? There's a yeah, there, yes. there's a lot of like even if two people are talking they're isolated in the frame you know on difference so they're like way pushed to the left or the right and they're just yeah even it's so like, one person's in the foreground one person's in the background uh, they're on opposite sides of the screen it's stuff that, yeah it's like they would things that normally you would frame like you would have a, like a two shot and like an over the shoulder of each of these people so there's like you know it's like you're here's wesley's head and like yeah I'm shot in, I'm reverse here. shot yes yeah shot yes. And, and it and it's it's there's it's always instead there's like a cleave there's a panel border in between them and they go back and forth between those you know those two things and so it's it, it you know it adds to that sense of isolation yeah alienation distance like physical distance even though there's proximity right like um, these people are taking the internet feelings out into the world with them and that's their kind of way of interacting with the it's really smart i was i was having a conversation a couple weeks ago about about um algorithms and and hacking and the way in which culture deals with those things like representatively and visually and i don't know what you what you remember about these things is that they're they're like the problem with technology really now is not the technology itself it's the people who wield it, right? So hackers, I mean, hacking, for instance, is 
is the use of technology to do other things, um, to use technology, to, to corrupt technology, to overtake it, to destroy, to use technology to destroy something else. I mean, and those are human acts. And so there's a whole universe of, of drama to be conceived and, and, and executed based on the idea of what people can do with technology that is not necessarily planes and boats and cars. And this is one of, this is a, this show is, a, I would say is a pretty good example of the, of, of the, of the ways in which you can take things like screen culture and, and dramatize and animate it so that it's, so that it's captivating instead of doing things like let's have a text bubble pop up on the screen when, when Amy texts Brad about her whereabouts. Um, anyway, we'll be right back. I was listening to an album I never heard before by some, which contains a single I've heard 10 million times. I listened to the first Mini Repertin album over the weekend. Oof. Perfect Angel. Is that the first one or the second one? It might be the second one. The second one. I believe it's number two. Produced, co-produced by Stevie Wonder, which Yay. I didn't know. It's oh. just a nice song. Made me think of you, Wesley. Think of my uh, all of our reasons. Really? No, reasons is the that's the first. So this is it's so nice to see old friends. And oh, it's so right. nice, all of you podcast listeners, to virtually know that know that you're hearing us. The seeing metaphor, the metaphor is falling apart. I can't hold it together. Wesley, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for playing this. This got a great album cover, by the way. She's, I believe, this is the one where she's holding an ice cream cone. Yeah, she's got like a melting ice cream on. cone. This is yeah. a good record, man. She talks about getting high a lot, which I didn't know. I have the mini Rippertons about that life, but apparently she is. There's some good, good jams. Obviously, "Loving You" is the big song on this album. Yes. This is that's the big, like the it's like the eighth song. It's like the yeah, ninth, eighth, or ninth song. Yeah, it may not have been the the lead single, but uh, you know, and that's also a crazy good song when you actually sort of listen to that and experience it as if it's a new thing. You're like, this is really weird that this is a song. Um, yeah, she's holding anyway. nice and cone. We're not overalls. Thank you, Wesley Morris. Thank you, Joe Fuentes. Thank you, David Jacoby. Thank you, Jim Cunningham. Cunningham. I've got. Jim Cunningham. He apparently is responsible for <laughs> making these extra listenable. <laughs> Thank you, Jim Cunningham, for making last week's show not three and a half hours. Yeah. I don't know how um, you did it, folding space and time. But. Um, anyway, we're going to go. We'll talk to you next week. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.